Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 473 of the Constructed Criticism Podcast. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Abe Stein. Yo! And Mason Clark. Hello, go. You feeling better, Mason? For the most part, yeah. My throat's got a little bit of a scratch in the back, but besides that, I'm basically good to go, so... Mason, we're on episode 473 of Constructed Criticism, which is also close to the number of push-ups that the Oregon Duck mascot had to do for how many points their team scored in football this week. Mason, do you love anything enough to do 563 push-ups? Does the duck love it, or is the duck paid? That's what I'm asking. I mean, I'm sure they're on scholarship, but like... the, The way that it works, Mason, is the duck's... Every time the Ducks score, Puddles, the mascot, does push-ups for how many points the Ducks have scored. So first he did 8, then he did 15, and so on, and so on, and so on. And they scored 81 points, which uh, I had told Mason this week, but I don't know that I've told you that, Abe. No, I had no idea any of that happened. Uh, but it was like a big story, and people were like, uh, that's too many. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't... There's there's not a thing that I love enough to do 560 whatever push-ups. So yeah, in a mascot uh, series, no less. What we should yeah. do is, Abe, you should do push-ups every episode for how many episodes there are for the rest of the time. I think that I shouldn't do that for a couple of reasons, but I think I'll do it once you've done it for all the oh. episodes you've been on, and I'll do it for all the episodes I've been on. Oh, man. I like I like the Uno reverse card there. Let's get into the main topic. We're not have always improving this week because it's the pick two set review. Blatantly lifted from Even Odds Pod, rest in peace. Just uh, It's our version of the pick, the, the set review. You know, we, we've tried the every single card. We've tried a AP-style poll where patrons got to submit their top 25 cards. We, we created a top 25 cards in the set and reviewed those 25 cards. You know, we've tried a lot of things, but, you know, I think that Trey and Mason landed on something really fun, really cool, and really interesting. Why don't you explain what that is, Mason? Yeah, so when you listen to a lot of set reviews, a lot of them do, like, top 8 or top 10. And when they say, like, they're number 9. They say something along the lines of, like, yeah, so this card's, like, kind of something I want to hopefully have, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes they don't say that. And it puts a lot of pressure on you, the listener, to sort of parse, like, okay, you know, like, do they mean this card's as strong as, like, the fourth card or whatever, you know? Like, obviously, it's a little lower. It was number nine, you know? And maybe sometimes they don't have the same context or the, the uh, way the host wants to relate it to you, the listener. So instead, what we do is we have four categories where we each pick two cards per categories. It's going to be hopeful, favorites, sleepers, and hits. We'll talk about each category as we get there, but the names are kind of what you're expecting. You know, hopeful. I'm like, hopeful this card sees play. This is a favorite. It's a card that people aren't talking about. I think it's going to be a hit in some format. And we'll try to give you the context for that. And this way we get to talk about a bunch of different cards, give you the context you want to hear about it. And maybe sometimes talk about cards that might normally not get the list because it's like, it was a top 10 show. And Mason, you know, really likes this one card, but doesn't really fit. And we have to have 10. So this is our little middle ground and the way that we like to do set reviews around here. Awesome. Well, let's start with hopefuls. Hopefuls are going to be those cards that we think Magic would be better or that the format would be better or that we would be excited if they saw play. Hey, we're going to start with you. What is your first hopeful for this set? Yeah, my first hopeful for the set is uh, Hearth Elemental and it's Adventure uh, Sorcery Stoke Genius. So the adventure on Hearth Elemental uh, is one in a red for a sorcery adventure, discard your hand, then draw two cards, which was like one of my favorite cards from Avacyn Restore. It's called Dangerous Waders, an instant for one in a red. 
that you discarded your hand and drew two cards, and I just thought that, that card was cool. Um, but Hearth Elemental itself is a 4-5 for 5 and a red, and it costs X less to cast for X is the number of cards in your graveyard that are instant, sorcery, or cards with an adventure. So it like, has a bit of a cost reduction effect on it. You know, It's a great top deck of like, you know, you're empty-handed. You get to basically just draw two cards and then have this 4-5 that is hopefully you know, cost-reduced depending on how your deck is built. And I think there's some really, really... Like, I played with this card a bit. I had a couple drafts over the weekend uh, as it was pre-release. And it was just a really, really sick card to play with. It's kind of interesting, you know, some spots where maybe you, your hand is just bad and you want to use a kind of a tormenting voice, and then it's still a creature. But uh, I think in general, it's like a this card is a card that's playable and you know has room. That that deck seems like a really really fun deck, and I love that kind of uh, that kind of game. But a little bit of a your little bit of experimental frenzy, a little bit of your um, Tolarian terror, all on the same card. Yeah, I think this card is sweet. Like, there's a couple things that it has going for it. I mean. If you haven't been playing Magic for a long time, uh, you might not know that, like, discard your hand, then draw two cards. If you top deck this empty-handed, you just, it's two mana draw two, which is sweet. And then additionally, like, the fact that this, you know, lets you play it in some of these adventure-style decks as another large threat, where you are going to naturally, most of your creatures are going to be adventures, and, you know, you also, you know, get this discounted rate. You know, a 4-5, we've seen we've seen the power of just a 4-5 body in things like Standard recently. So I, I mean I could I could see this seeing something. Yeah, I also think it's really good in modern with the dredge cards, right? Like just being able to discard your whole hand and then things like life from the loam, etc., will discount this a little bit. And you don't really plan to play it as a four-five, but sometimes you don't have anything else to do with your mana. Maybe you're loaming, right? You're getting some lands back. Just incidentally, you know, playing this for two or three mana after you kind of popped off and put a bunch of things into play is like a serious thing for that deck and it's less card than some of the other cards they play but you know having this sort of option really changes the way those decks can be built so i really like it not only for maybe its standard implications uh but also it's you know more eternal format implications i hadn't even thought about it in that in that context mason but the idea of using this is like your cathartic reunions that aren't like i don't know the the red white one that kind mm-hmm. of is tough on your mana um, this one is a body attached for, you know, you could even be like some sort of like the dredge vine decks with like glimpses and stuff. You can play enough instant sorceries in those decks with the dredge creatures that this would be something you could use to trigger something like Avenge Vine as a cheap one mana creature. And that's that's really powerful. I haven't thought about it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe for the reasons I said and not these ones, this card's really good. <laughs> uh, but but it'd be really sick. Um, I thought you just gave me the layup. You know, I thought you were just like, yeah, and here, when y'all mentioned dredge or whatever, you know, so. well, I gave you the layup. I also thought about it in dredge instantly. My other hopeful is uh, Feral Encounter, which is green, green for a sorcery that says, look at the top five cards of your library. You may exile a creature card from among them. Then you put the rest of the cards you uh, looked at on the bottom of your library in random order. Then until end of turn, you may cast the exiled card. And also at the beginning of the next combat phase of this turn, target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to up to one target creature you don't control. This card is just like, it's a it's a removal spell, like it's a punch spell for some sort of green aggressive deck. With adventure creatures, you can like reveal one of those and use the adventure side to get even more value out of the, uh, out of the first clause. And also, it's like a good enough rate on a fight spell like that. And with all of the efficient creatures and like Gruul, um, you know, I could see this being played in like a monogreen stompy style deck or a gruel deck in pioneer if this right right like love struck beast things like that where you're able to get a lot of value out of a spell like this uh while still keeping the board clear and i think that just for green to get a card that is not only interacting with the board 
and is also generating an amount of card advantage that way is like a really, really unique thing. It'd be really cool if this is a, a way that that works out. Yeah, I really like how it like it seems very clear to me, at least, that the idea behind this card is, OK, we need to give green removal. Right. We need to give them options, especially for commander and stuff, but, you know, also for standard. And it's like right, their removal is fighting. How will we get players to put fight spells in the deck? Because they just won't do it, right? Like, historically, as players, we just have not put fight spells in our deck. Every now and again, you have, like, a Prey Upon as a sideboard card. We have a Planeswalker that does something. But they're like, okay, they can't get enough of drawing cards. So we're going to give them the green card draw and this fight spell and sort of, you know, see what it's like. And so it's more like card selection than draw. But I really like this card because, you know, I am pretty interested, actually, in just having, like, a punch-type effect. But I don't want to put just a punch in my deck. So... You know, having one or two of these minimum is like I think really easy to do when you're building a standard, you know, a standard war pioneer aggressive base green deck. And it's like, yeah, in the early turns, I can play it like on turn three, you know, with like I double spell or something like that, and I kill your big thing and hit you for a bunch. And then the late game, I get some big thing and maybe it even eat something of yours. So I really like this card; it's super cool. Yeah, I saw a little bit of conversation on Twitter about this card when it was previewed that people thought that it might not be good enough. And I, I don't know; I think that this card like reads to me as like a very good standard card for like a stompy deck and then i certainly think that there are potentially pioneer decks uh you know we have stompy pioneer that's not been good because monogreen devotion is so good but there's there's a world in which monogreen devotion either gets banned or goes away and stompy would love a card like this right like you know it, it basically becomes five mana draw a card kill your thing which I think is a fine two-for-one in that format, especially with as many elves as that deck plays. I love it with the elves, too, because it's so easy to do it, like, on turn three or four and, like, actually get the value. Even if it's just getting an elf, like, it's not, like, why you want it in your deck, but having that buyout clause of, like, well, I did make a one-one at least, or I did use my mana, I think is so huge for this card. So I really like this card. My first card on Hopefuls is Royal Treatment along the green line. So this is green for an instant, Turret creature you control gains hexproof until end of turn. Create a royal roll token attached to this creature. Somehow I feel like I always end up saying the first time with a weird mechanic, so I'll quickly explain rolls. There are six of them. They are basically enchantments that go on your creatures and provide a passive effect. I'm not going to talk about all six, but the royal one is plus one, plus one, and it has ward one. So this card is like the new age Rangers Guile. Rangers Guile was the same card. You know, you put a plus one, plus one counter on your thing. Your saga, your achievement's basically doing that and gain hexproof till the turn. This is doing that, but also providing ward for the future. So I think that there's like this style of deck of like green light kind of protects your thing in Pioneer that could really benefit from like this because if you put this on your um, Saram, you draw a card, I believe. I actually need to double-check Saram, but I do believe Light Pause triggers and you search your deck. And so there's a lot of, I need to double check the, the rulings on that to be sure, because I know the updates haven't come out yet with all the rulings at the time, which we recorded this, but just in general, even that doesn't trigger it, getting those enchantments and having it literally be an enchantment does count for some of the other cards and things like ethereal armor and all that, uh, all that glitter do care about it. So having a protection spell that does that, I think is really nice and very interesting. And, you know, I, I always think those kind of decks are cool. I do think this is like a pretty reasonable card in standard too. If you have like a low to the ground, green aggressive deck, so, you know, removal spells in standard are kind of clunky sometimes. This is huge. So, and providing that ward one, I think it's just kind of nice. So, I don't know how y'all feel about this, but I kind of like this card a lot as, like, a weird role player. I would be shocked if this card was not good. This card provides actual cardboard or game pieces on the battlefield that matter. It interacts with your opponent while doing it. And those cards are just usually really good. And honestly, I, 
I don't like this card. Like, I'm hopeful this card's not good because on, like, Beast and I don't like those decks. I think that, you know, Ward, Ward 1 is just Thalia. Like, let's be honest. Uh, no, but I think I think that this card is probably quite good. Yeah, I mean, Snakeskin Veil is already a card that has even recently been, you know, playable in Standard. Uh, you know, a card that well, plus one, plus one counter sticking around makes it, like, you know, valuable in keeping your creature grown. This is just better than that. And like Spencer said, like, the added layer of, okay, you went to kill my creature, I've now protected it. And also, the next time you go to kill my creature, it's going to be more expensive, it's going to cost you more, is so backbreaking sometimes, especially if you're already talking about bigger creatures where maybe the sizing of removal, like, matters. You know, if your deck has all Grasp of Darknesses, you go to Grasp Darkness, my, like, deal four to my 4-4, my four four, and now it's a 5-5, five five, and it's going to cost more. Like, your slow removal spells that are going to be able to deal with that are going to cost even more. And so yeah, it's, it's definitely it, it is worth know, synergies included. It's a really, really powerful card. It is worth noting that you can interact with the enchantment rather than the creature if like that's important for some reason during some time in the game. But I feel like that won't come up as often as people were making it out to be like on Twitter. If my opponent wants to disenchant my plus one plus one counter, I'm pretty down with it. Yeah, but sage you my roll token, please. Uh, you know, I dare you. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 by the way, I went and looked it up while y'all were talking. Light Paul's will trigger says when an enchantment enters the battlefield. So that's something that, you know, to keep in mind. But regardless, I, I do think it's kind of cool. I'm excited to see how that goes off. My next card is also using the role mechanic, and this is Spiteful Hex Mage. This is a black for a creature human warlock 3-2, one mana 3-2. When Hex Mage enters the battlefield, create a cursed roll token attached to a creature you control. So the cursed token is the negative roll. So it actually makes the creature's power and toughness one. So in this case, if this was your turn one play, this would be a one mana 1-1. One, one. I think there's enough ways with bargain to sort of get rid of the curse roll. If you want something like that for standard, like candy grapple is a minus three, minus three, but it can be minus five, minus five. If you sack a token. So then that unlocks this. I also think this card's really strong with active treason effects, things like uh claim the firstborn, for example, those kind of things where you take the thing and then play this to put it on that and then unlock your three, two. I don't think it'll be a ton of for that reason, but I'm really hopeful that something like this is uh, playable. Cause I think it's really cool. It opens up a lot of ways to like, okay, hey, I'm really appealing. I have a lot of appealing subtypes. What do you do with that? And how are you going to solve my riddle? It's something that I think is really interesting, but I don't know exactly how to solve the riddle. I'm thinking upgrades, upgrades, people. You know what's better than an 01 nest token? That's right, a 1-1 nest token. I don't know. I, I'm just saying... No, that's like, a great point. Like There, most are, writer, there right? are O1s that, like, <laughs> that pieces of cardboard that see play that this upgrades. That's, I'm just throwing that out there. No, that's a great. I had not thought about things like Woe Strider and Pioneer. I can't remember the name of the thing in Standard, but uh, yeah, like, you know, that's a great way to like actually power up a thing in your aggressive deck. So that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, there's also the angle of like with the way the roll mechanic works, each creature can only have one roll from a player at a time. So you play this on turn one, something gives it a roll, you know, on turn two or even down the line, you know. The your other hopeful Mason, like you can directly just jam it on there and get in for four if you really were like, yep, this is what the game's about. Four three ward on turn two, dude. Like that, that is the got to be the most tilting attack too. They're like Bloomy Marsh, play this attack with my one one into your two two, and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm taking it. Yeah, I love it. There's a lot to do with this card. It's 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 pretty cool to like. It it does offer a really really cool puzzle. Since what's your first hopeful? My first hopeful is the world's first hopeful. This is Elusive Otter. 
I, I cannot express the joy in my heart when this card was previewed. I sent it to my wife, who doesn't even play Magic. And I was like, look at it! Look at it! Look at it! And she's like, oh my gosh, they're making a good Otter Magic card? And I was like, let's go! Uh, so this card is one for a 1-1 one, one Otter Prowess. Uh, creatures with power less than Elusive Otter's power can't block it. It also has an adventure for Green X Sorcery. Grove's Bounty, uh, distribute X 1-1 one, one counters among any number of creatures you control. It was really interesting. The first time I saw this card, I was actually on a call with Matt Kling. And I read this, and he goes, I think this card is just better than Soulscar Mage anyway. Like, just at rate. And I, I don't know if I agree with that, but I do think that, like, it is good enough to change the way that we both construct and think about our prowess decks. And it seems gas to me. Like, it, this card seems really good. And I, I'm also really hopeful because I would love this type of deck, both in Pioneer and Modern, to exist again. Um, because I think we were talking about it a few weeks ago, Mason, when you and I did the show together, about kind of a lack of aggro representation in Modern right now. And I, I would love to see this deck in Modern. I would love to see it in Pioneer. It was one of my favorite decks in Pioneer before EI got banned. I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing because as I said, this really is everyone's everyone's hopeful. I've seen nothing but positivity towards this card, and I think it does like another good prowessy one drop is really cool, especially one with a pretty unique line of text of you know cast your spells, make this thing big, and they won't be able to block it. Um, like you're not gonna get your big soul scar mage trump blocked. The biggest thing I fear about it is that in modern right now, playing X ones that are not like exactly Ragavan. Um, or like they have to be, it's a really really high bar to clear to be able to play something with one toughness, and then in Pioneer, I think that so much of the good things to prowess with are red, and it's really hard to have a mana base that supports blue and red one drops and the right mix of spells. But like those problems are ones that are not necessarily permanent; they're not always how things are going to be. And especially in Pioneer, like the mana could get good enough, or there could be enough. You know, there's like sleight of hand in this set where, like, that's going to be a new cantrip added in, so there's going to be a lot of blue cantrips that are already playable, so this card could easily, you know, clear that bar. But it is really cool to think about, like, you know, just even a new shape of the prowess decks that's more blue-based rather than red-based for that reason, right? Like, you have Blister Coil Weird, you have, you know, Lucive Otter, which feel like, when you think about it from only the perspective of Monastery Swiss Beer Soul Scar Mage, as, like, oh, they're, like, the third best prowess one-drop. But if you think those as one and two... You know, you can start to build your deck in a different way and play a different suite of interactive spells. And I think that's really like a really uh, potent thing to be able to consider. Yeah, I feel like we're also not talking about the adventure part of this enough, which I understand for Pioneer because it's hard. But this card also is an adventure creature. I, I don't even know if we read it, but you can spend green and X to distribute plus one plus one counters. And that matters, I think, a lot for the like viability of this card. It's been like modern, where having like a stomping ground in your deck. It is not zero, but it is a lot easier to do. And then suddenly you have this issue, right, where you want to have enough threats in your deck, but you also want enough spells. And this card suddenly, you know, you can just spend G just to trigger prowess. Or you can also, you know, if it's your only card off the top, just go G, all my mana, buff up my, you know, Soul Scar Mage, attack you, right? That sort of play pattern I think is pretty huge. And we have had Blister Coil Weird in Pioneer for a while now. And I think that, you know, that hasn't been enough, but I think maybe 16 to like maybe 14, something like that, prowess creatures could be the thing that goes the distance. And if you can, you know, use pathways enough to cheat the otter, maybe in Pioneer, 
there's a shot, but I do think it is a little bit of an uphill battle, but I really think this card has the snuff to like be good in a prowess deck. I think prowess decks are already pretty good. And so really to me, the question is like, okay, currently prowess decks are DRC and the two prowess creatures. How many otters do we want? But even just one or two otters, I think changes the number, you know, of one drops you have pretty significantly, like consistently having one. And then, like I mentioned, just G, you know, trigger your prowess or spit all my mana is like, I think a real bio clause to this card. Not what I want maybe four of, but maybe one that I do want to have access to. So I, I like the otter a lot and I wrote about it for Pioneer. I think that, you know, there's a chance that it does do something there. Cause that deck was really good, yeah. but a lot of that had to do with EI before. Yeah. I, I, I want to address something that you said, Abe, that uh, this is something that has come up before where it turns out that like, sometimes we as magic players have heuristics about mana and how they work in certain formats. And then it takes something to break those heuristics for us to check ourselves on it. And I, I have not done this yet, but I do, I do wonder if there's a world in which like we do the math and it actually makes a lot of sense to like play like a teamer deck with the lands that we have available in pioneer to make sure that we are able to hit the right lands. And then we play like green protection spells and stuff uh, in addition to this as like a way to be like, all right, we're like a true rug deck, but all, none of our stuff ever costs more than this, and like our mana base is a little painful, but it's actually better than trying to be red, red, blue. Yeah, and it could be like red could be a sacred cow to browse, right? It doesn't right. have to be, especially if your deck is, you know, this card with like become immense is incredibly potent, right? That's an unblockable, like a probably gonna be an unblockable seven power creature if you resolve comments on it. If your deck has a bunch of ways to protect these creatures, you don't have to be a red deck at all. And if you're casting all these cantrips anyway, you open up an entire different like avenue of playing prowess. And I think that it's just important to consider it from that angle. When I know that myself included, a lot of times it's easy to think about it in terms of how is it right now. Yeah, Stormwing Entity is a real card. So my question. next one is Questing Druid. Uh, this card is one and a green for a one-one human druid. Whenever you cast a spell that's white, blue, black, or red, put a one-one counting counter on Questing Druid. It also has an instant adventure called Seek the Beast. Exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step. You may uh, play those cards. I read this once again. I was I think I was on call and the comment was like, "Oh yeah, Quarian Dryad. Like how many times has that card been good?" I was like, "Well." It's got it's like shooting sixty six percent in standard right now. It's been printed three times, two of the three times it was like pretty freaking good. And like, listen, I obviously love Miracle Grow. I think that's you know the Lotus Cobra Miracle Grow deck was really fun with like a Taxium Probe and all and Delver of Se- or maybe maybe it was a Delver Secrets one actually. It wasn't Lotus Cobra, but either way, the Del I think it was I think it was Delver of Secrets and and Grand Dryad was like a really fun deck that had a really interesting spot in the metagame. Obviously, last time, the card was not good enough. But this one's got an upgrade. It's got an instant attached to it that is not bad, in my opinion. Uh, I'm really hopeful for this card. I'm also really just hopeful for Teamer Adventures overall. To be honest, both in uh, Standard and I would love Pioneer to get a little juice in the, the Teamer category. It's got the mana for it. It's got you know a ton of really good support cards in Teamer. I would love to see that happen. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on this card? I think this is the the one card. That, there's the white-green adventure creature that's like draw a card on ETB and put a permanent on top that maybe has a chance for Pioneer. But this is like the one where it's like, okay, if you're a Pioneer adventure gamer, this is like the one I actually think 
maybe is good enough in your deck. And like a lot of those players still played Escape to the Wild, which I always thought was like, okay, yeah, makes sense. But this plus Lucky Clover does a really good impression of that. And this being a body really helps your edge wall and keepers. So it also works very well, like on its base form with Love Struck Beast. So like <coughs> you can play your Love Struck Beast on four, on, on three, sorry, and then play this on, you know, on your next turn, and then play an attack and then cast more spells. So I like this card a lot. I think this card is quite good. I think it is not zero. This card has a home in modern for what it's worth. I think like having all of the red exile the top two keep churning through your deck is very realistic to be something you want to do. Um, maybe not in a world with the one ring, but like uh, maybe a non one ring, non breach world, something I'd be pretty interested in doing. So regardless, I, I like this card a lot. I'm curious what y'all think, but it's a card that I think is going to definitely, I imagine definitely see a good amount of play in standard. If gruel is a color combination that you're interested slash red green with something. So I don't know. I like this card a lot. Yeah, just the tried and true, let's take a card that we know that people like and understand and just tack on some more value to it to keep it with the times. And, like, I don't know, the, like you're saying, Mason, like the Reckless Impulse, in fact, you have to cast it on, like, your opponent's turn rather than casting your main phase if you, like, need the cards, but an Impulse draw two cards plus this card when you draw it off the top late, which is usually a time when this card is worse, right? On turn two, an unchecked Curry on Drive can go really, really far in Games of Magic. That's just been true for a long time. And so this card does that. But also, it just has a little bit of a, of a failsafe of when you draw in the mid to late game, it still is providing some value and even fueling itself a bit. And that's just how good that will be is yet to, yet to play out. But how good it is is, you know, a card we all, we all as a community, understand how it works. Uh, and so I'm, I'm pretty old with this one, too. Yeah, I'm actually, it, it's 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 interesting because I think that a lot of people had come into Magic when Kyrian Dread was printed last time, where it wasn't good, where they're like, well, this card was bad last time. It's like, it also didn't have support last time. So we'll, we'll kind of see. Our next category is sleepers. These are cards that we think maybe aren't getting the love that they deserve, uh, or maybe, maybe they're getting love, but maybe we think that they need love in other aspects or other places. I'll go first with this one. Um, my first card is the I Iron Crag. It is two generic mana for a legendary artifact. You can tap to make a colorless, and whenever a legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may have it become a legendary equipment artifact named uh, Everflame Hero's Legacy. If you do, it gains uh, three to equip. Equip creature gets plus three, plus three, and loses all other abilities. So I've actually seen this card see some love from Commander players. That they, this is actually quite a really good um, inclusion in Commander. And my thought is, like, this card seems better than a lot of mana rocks that we've gotten or a lot of other mana, mana spells that we've gotten recently. Two, two mana to make a mana is just a good rate. Like, there's a reason that they don't print it that often. And there are control decks that often want like a mana rock or like two mana rocks and i think that this card fits in those style of decks really well well it might not fit in my favorite style of deck like a an all-out ramp deck that's like really trying to go hard you know where drawing multiples of these would actually be like almost suicidal at times i i, I think this card is weirdly not getting enough standard love where you know that there are going to be plenty of decks that would be happy to play a two mana mana rock with upside yeah i mean going from two to four just in general, something they've been very cautious about for good reason, especially with the way the things are, like having access to more mana and doing stuff is really, really good. It being legendary, meaning you don't necessarily want to play a bunch of copies of this because it's not like, like you play four Mind Stones and do that because the effect is that good. You can just like cast your extra Mind Stones, you know? Um, 
But if you drop two of these, it doesn't necessarily do do the same thing. But it's definitely like if that's a good thing to do at all, playing two to three of these and saying, you know, I wanna if I draw this as my opener and my top, you know, ten cards, it's just gonna be good. And you know, you have enough legendary creatures to make it so that the payoff of I was up a mana and now my you know random creatures lying around are are stronger is just uh you know it's really potent it's a it's a card that could go really far because just getting one mana ahead is a lot we have a legends deck already in standard that already has an insane four drop in it and has ways to discard Mm -hmm. excess cards that you don't want yeah i'm curious how that was something i was thinking about was like in as for legends am i interested in this it's interesting because going like i don't know whatever land this children is really nice. Inversely, it doesn't help me cast many spells, but also do I care if it doesn't let me cast much because so many cards are so pip intensive. Like, I don't actually mind that much. And you can, like, weasel in things like, oh, this page for the colorless of Adeline. So you do Adeline plus a two. But also just, like, becoming an equipment that gives plus three, plus three, I think is really interesting. And I, I think that's something that maybe it's, like, hard to grok when you read it because it is kind of a confusing read, I think. But like this turns into a, sort of a new card. It's very funny. It, it almost feels like this card is supposed to be in a set that has double face cards, and they're like, "Oh, actually, that's really good for the Eldraine lore. We'll just put a bunch of words on it, you know." And they put it in the set, and so I, I like this card a lot. I think it's very interesting, and it's gonna be really interesting to me to see like, okay, like y'all mentioned, two to four is really strong, and they don't do that anymore because standard is kind of cooler when you can print more cool four drops, right? And they don't come down like from people over. But, like, is shielded, or is there other things that's like, okay, I'm going to play four of the Iron Crag, and guess what? I will just transform one when I, like, play my shielded, and then I'll play another one, or, like, I don't care, I'll discard it to my Rafines or my Fable the Mirror Breaker equivalents, you know, and, like, call it a day. So I'm really interested in the, like, we're all sort of like, yeah, only having one makes sense, only having two makes sense because it's legendary, but, like, okay, they don't design cards like that in mind, so, like, this clearly is going to put a lot of pressure on four drops. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. I also just love the idea of like decks having more one ofs and two ofs. Like a, a goal, like I really think it's cool to have lots of two ofs in a deck. So this card really pushes that agenda. And so it's really cool to me to be like, okay, what are players going to do with this card? So I love it. I think it's really sweet. Uh, my next sleeper is Were Fox Bodyguard. This card is one white, white. It is an elf knight fox that is just one of the best like lines of text ever it has flash when it enters the battlefield exile up to one other target non-fox creature until where fox bodyguard leaves the battlefield you can pay two and sacrifice it to gain two life this card got a little bit of love the day that it was previewed and then silence like complete silence whereas like if this card had been like previewed like five years ago people would have been like wow power creep this is crazy this card has, like, value when it gets removed. It, it has flash. Why does it have flash? What is happening? Uh, I, I think this card is just, like, total gas. Like, just actual gasoline. I'm very curious to see how this card lays out because they have just done this every other set now for, like, two, three years. Really since COVID, where it's like, okay, you've known the best, like, Banisher Priest of all time. Here is, like, maybe a better one or a situationally better one. And they just keep doing it. And they keep seeing, like, a decent amount of standard play from Skyclave Apparition to Brutal Cathar to now this. So I'm really curious to see, all right, where does Werefox Bodyguard actually land? Because I do think, like, the flash on this card is super big and plays, like, a huge part of it. And also the, like, 
buyout clause of like, oh, it's going to die to removal spell. Well, I had Savannah laying around. I'll gain two life, you know, is super nice, but also can like work in weird combinations where maybe you're playing this with your wraths, you know, and then like it comes down early and eat something in combat, eat another thing, then you pop it, then you play your wrath. I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting. Uh, and I think this card is quite good. And I'm curious just to see how it plays out in standard. It's so crazy how good this effect is with Flash because it allows decks that, like, I don't know, like, you could play this in a deck that is playing a lot of permission, like a lot of soft counter magic, and then decide, okay, I'm going to let that flip through because I can grab it with this thing, and then now I have a clock in play. Like, now I'm able to pressure whatever's going on, and that's just, like, such a potent and, like, sometimes dangerous effect that this card really, really... And it speaks to me as someone who likes playing those decks historically. I like a good Flash creature that uh, that does something. And, yeah, like what you said about sacking it to be able to set up, like, your Wrath, if the deck also has, you know, more of that, or, I mean, any of life gain synergies, things like that. It's just, there's a lot on this card to make it push, where already I feel like that effect at Flash. Like, if you mean Banish Priest with Flash, I'm excited. Like, that card already, you know, gets me, get, gets the juices flowing, gets me going. Here, here's a thought I have in the back of my head. I think we all agree it's at least good. Do we think it's, like, very good? Because we keep saying the line of, like, 2012, this would be insane. Which is true, I think, of, like, all the cards we've talked about so far. But this one's just on our, on its face so overtly. Like, it is just better than Banisher Priest almost all the time. You can't really trick me and say the Fox line of text doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't believe you. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding Mutavolts. So, like, what do you all think? Do you think this card is, like, I guess here's what I want. I want the shot call, thumbs up, thumbs down. This is a four of in like like a standard deck that is like the best deck. Do we think that's like where it's destined? Because I kind of think yes, but I'm not I, sure. I, See, I think I'm thumbs down on that, but I do think it is a card so good that if the mana supports it, cancel decks become playable at at least tier two. Oh, wow. That is yeah. not where I thought you were going with this. But it I seriously sense think that this card... This card is like, like that's how good the effect is that you can play cards that are a little bit worse on rate than other cards, like cancel, right? Like, like just three mana counter spells. That then, because in this in instances where what you need to counter isn't what they cast, but you need to spend your mana, you have something else to spend your mana on, and you push your game plan forward, right? You're developing your board in spite of is, that. Is this? Yeah, I think it's like a troll card. I agree. <laughs> I, here's the thing. To answer your question, Mason, I do think that like white mid-range and controlling decks are still going to be pretty good i i i also want to say that like it is interesting that we're talking about it in the context of like a decade ago but i mm-hmm. think this card is just on rate is a good magic card like as as it was talking i was like man if you can make my absorbs playable in freaking pioneer maybe that's hashtag worth i don't know and i was like do i want any of these in that deck like this to fairy plus this plus wandering emperor make absorb playable and i don't know but yeah i think i'm with you spencer i think i am more thumbs up than down i do think i am in the it's better in control I, i'll be honest i was thinking about like how does this card matter in legacy right like it's flashing in to reset a merc tide and then like flicker whispering it to get rid of the other like you know what i mean like it's it's a this weird card be, this would be a card that would see legacy play that like would, yeah like you could yorion yeah flick, that's, I don't that's know. So annoying. It, yeah i don't know I, I think this card is just kind of nice but it's unclear to me if it is like nice, you know what I mean? And that, I think that's really cool. I think it's really awesome that like we can all kind of be at different places, play magic so much, have so much experience with this type of card and be like, not really sure what's going to happen. I think that's just dope. Well, let's talk about uh, the next card, which Mason is your first sleeper. This is from a category of cards 
that have been banned in standard, Mason. Talk about your first card. Okay, well, let's all relax. <laughs> so I, I have Brave the Wild. Uh, this is a sorcery. It, it has bargain, which we'll get to in a second. But if this spell was bargained, target land you control becomes a 3-3 elemental creature with haste. This is still a land. And then you search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand. So bargaining is you sacrifice either a artifact, enchantment, or token. So this works really well with like my curse card earlier or my protection spell. I have this idea for like a green aggressive deck of some sort in standard where it's like you're bargaining away little things and then having this just be like essentially two mana and sack something to have a 3-3 that hits because you're going to lose the land, right, and have it to be a 3-3. That being said, I'm pretty interested in something like that in an aggressive base deck. And making your land drops is also really good. And that's what Spencer mentioned to you before is a tune with Aether, which was a playable standard card uh, in part due to its energy synergies. Uh, made it so that card actually got banned because it was too good at enabling four color. This could be like a very reasonable thing because in your mid-range grinding deck too, you want to make your land drops. Then maybe there's some incidental thing you want to sacrifice. And then you turn your land to a 3-3 blocker and you actually replace that land. So early game, you hit your land drops. Late game, you get a 3-3 to block or attack with. I think this card's like kind of nice. I've seen no one talk about it. You know, green, black bargain, play your black one drop on turn one. This thing, sack it. Attack for, attack for six. Attack for six on turn two, Mason. Six. Upstairs. Or or you could leave up your land as protection with your other green one drop that Mason has already... Mason's got three one drops in its first three cards. All of them go in the same deck. Yeah, I'm such a brave innovator picking the one mana cards that it comes <laughs> in the set review. No one's doing it like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those one mana cards, they're often not very good. I have, I have a problem funky. with this card. Not that it's not good. I just I, I have a hard time seeing this with its caveat needing extra stuff being better than bushwhack. But maybe I'm too big of a believer in bushwhack. I, I'm not sure. I, I just think that it it has competition that maybe in that attack like that this this would be better. But like overall, if I like am trying to pick a lay of the land effect, bushwhack actually does seem pretty good still. Yeah, I think in my mind I had thought about that card too. This this card leans towards a more aggressive deck um, that's, like, low to the ground, like, go wide, but Bushwhack is, like, a stompy deck, right? And so I, I really do love sort of, and this is a common trend you're noticing, where I really like that they're trying to get us to put cards in our standard decks that we normally won't play. And they're like, no, you're going to have more fun if you hit your land drops, play the lay of the land. And they're like, what do we have to do? Like, give it a fight, make it a three, like, you know what I mean? And they did that with a bunch of the cards I talk about, like the protection spell and Abe's fight spell, right? So uh, I really like that they're kind of pushing that direction. And it seems like green's getting a bunch of it in this set, but I, I think this card is cool. And it's one of the decks I'm like pretty interested in playing like a green, black, aggressive deck and just seeing like, okay, can I be like a, you know, Golgari Sly deck? So it's going to be cool to see. I am interested, Spencer, like you mentioned, see how does it work out with Bushwhack, you know, and like, will they compete? Will decks play a mixture, you know, because like this one's pretty good with my friend Bushwhack, you know? So, you know, maybe there's some benefit to having both. But that's my one. And then my next one is a card that I will get to why I'm calling it a sleeper in a second. So Agatha's Soul Cauldron is two mana for a legendary artifact. It says you may spend mana as though or mana of any color to activate abilities of creatures you control. Creatures you control with a plus one, plus one counter on them have all activated abilities of creatures exiled with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. And then Agatha's Soul Cauldron has tap, exile target card from a graveyard, when a creature is exiled this way, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature control. So worth noting, this is also weirdly 
fringe like graveyard hate. Like if you could just play it and then you know they go to reanimate their thing or have a spell that flashback, you can eat it. But the main idea behind this card is you exile a creature and then all your creatures with plus one plus one counters gain that creature's abilities, the activated ones, and then it also gives the counter, so it, it turns something into that. So this card in modern has weird implications with Yog Moss deck. And first, uh, you can exile Gris because Gris is a creature in the graveyard. And then, even though your creature isn't a planeswalker, it does gain the loyalty ability. So it can only go up at first, but you can go up and then mill. And then all your creatures that plus one plus one counters have that ability. You can also give Yog Moss ability to create the combo. So both of those things are pretty interesting. And like people are pretty quick to figure out that sort of thing on Twitter. The crazy part to me is I have seen no one talk about our Lord and Savior Grizzlebrand with this card. And that's the thing that I'm like, wait, but like now I have like eight necrotic uses. Is that good enough? I don't know. But I think this card's really strong. And I think it is deceptively strong and like very clearly popular for Commander. It's had a lot of hype there, but I don't know. I, I'm curious to know what y'all think, because I think this is a card that takes like all of our brain power to figure out exactly what we do with it. But I do think there are some messed up things you can do with it. And it's also really good in the hardened scales deck. You know, you can make all your creatures the Arcbound Ravagers, all in the Walking Ballista. So it's a Baza. So I don't know. I'm going to pass the mic to y'all. Yeah, the 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 first thing that I thought of this is that if this was one mana, it would just be played in hardened scales. Like, that, it'd just be like, yeah, that we're just playing this card. Uh, you also sound like a man that has been in a room with Jerry Thompson a little bit too much by bringing up Necroticus and this. Uh, I don't know if that came up in conversation, but... I, no? All right. Well, uh, no, no. I, I, when I first saw this card, the first thing I thought is, what do I do with Grizzlebrand? Oh, um, that's fair. And then the second thing I thought was, oh, does this work with Grist? <laughs> uh, I, this seems like a card that if it's good, I will not be happy that I have to play against that strategy. But that doesn't mean that it's not fun for magic. I think that, I don't know. This card is obviously a big head scratcher. It's got so much text on it that there's a lot to figure out what to do. I think that there's a real, like that's the whole Grizzlebrand thing is cool, Mason. Here's my question for you. You get the Grizzlebrand in the graveyard. You exile the, the Grizzlebrand with the cauldron. What's your creature in play that is going to have a counter that's going to draw you seven cards now? I, I'm not saying that I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that I've solved the riddle. I'm simply saying that it's interesting to me that no one has talked about this card outside of it's like Grist and, uh, hard scale capabilities and i'm specifically highlighting Grizzlebrand because i think that's the strongest activatability thing that i haven't seen people mention so i don't know the exact formula i just think it's interesting that this card i think has so much power to it and the, the solution the truth might just be that Grizzlebrand is too much of a card that requires setup and maybe there are better things you can do with it but i do think this card is like Pretty reasonable as a one of in your Gothmoth deck. It's pretty reasonable as a one of in your Hearn Skills deck. So I, I don't know the answer to that question. I just think it's very potentially very strong. I don't know if I agree yeah, I mean, that the setup cost is too high. Like I, uh, I was talking about this uh, when we were talking about team decks, and I think most of our team in the conclusion that we actually think Mill is like tier one point five or better in modern right now, and a lot of that is because like it it it's the the cards that it has are also cards that, like, decks like Dredge can play in a lot of cases, where, like, it, you could self-mill with most of them, and they're just good cards, right? And if that's the case, like, I don't think it would be that hard to self-mill yourself uh, with a lot of different magic cards to make this card good, if that's the direction you wanted to go. Sure, it's like Hedron Crab, yeah, like you get, Blue Black. Yeah, you just put it on a crab, right? Like, that seems so sure, simple. Sure. 
Yeah, no, that, that's a good. I had not thought about Hedron Crab. This is what I'm talking about. It takes like a village, I think, to to build with this card. But I don't know. It. I'm not like tear the sky down. I think you know magic is dying or anything. But I am like very surprised at how little hype this card's got outside of Commander. Because in Commander, it's so easy to kill with this card. It's like whatever, you know. Infinite combo. You don't get excited to do work, Mason. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you don't get excited to be like, hmm. Well, okay. Some people out there, and if you're one of the listeners who does, maybe I think there's like more of a, a Dom Harvey card, maybe of like, uh, all right, what's how do how do I set this one up? How do I make this all happen? Let me break out the spreadsheet. Let me start putting cards on a list. What's the boards they look like? Um, but it is definitely a really really cool puzzle to solve. It's obviously very powerful. All the lines of text on it are just bonkers you know even it's just an artifact that says tap exile a card from a graveyard if it's a creature card put a pulse muscle counter on target creature control that's like a mildly playable like draft rare you know bulk rare status and then it also has all this other text that's really really broken with the rest of that so uh, it sounds like you you're raging about thinking having to do more work there Abe. i see what you're trying to do i see what you're trying to do because my first of uh of my sleepers is monstrous rage which is a uh, single red instant says target creature gets plus two plus seven until turn, creating monster roll token attached to it. Monster uh, roll of the rolls there are is uh, the one that gives plus one plus one and trample. And this card is just so brutally efficient that in like the context of any deck, just trying to you know any like fast red deck, you know pushing over chump blockers, this card is so effective at that. And also leaving behind trample on one of your creatures is so 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 good like that thing not only is going to get through that hit of damage but if it's not answered it likely is going to continue to dominate the game like the the Kuran dryad that you were talking about spencer this card with that card is a is a nice chocolate and peanut butter situation because now they're going to be like okay all right you've got your like five five or four four dryad you give it plus only plus four plus two there's a red spell putting a counter on it putting a monster roll on it, so it's plus one trample, giving a plus two plus O this turn, plowing through their chump blocker for like five or six damage. Then next turn, they have to deal with the fact this is still a six, six trampler, including any of the other cards you cast. It just has a lot of potential in a way that like, you know, it's it's a humble, honest, constructed, playable, I'm going to deal you damage combat trick. And, uh, you know, the world could use more of those. It plays well with, uh, with a lot of stuff. Mason, do you know what a giant river otter is? Are you familiar with what these are? I am curious to see how this works its way back around to Monstrous Rage. Okay, so a giant river otter, are the, it is the largest member of the weasel family. They are four foot tall otters that live in South America that eat alligators. Like that's, that's their food. And I just want to turn my elusive otter into a giant river otter with this card. I'm down. I'm game. <laughs> like, <laughs> now, great. now it's a 2-2 unblockable for, for small things. But, like, you know, no one's blocking it the first turn this happens. I'm, hey, you're speaking my language. I do think this card is nice. Yeah, like, it's plus three, plus one in Trample. Like, good enough as red. Like, it's like a Infuriate, I think is the name of the card. Uh, it's like plus three, plus two. This one's, you know, it's plus three, plus one for the turn, and then plus one, plus one forever, Right. That changes the math a good bit. I could see something like this, you know, where you're just like, like you mentioned, doing that. We're just even main phasing and just being like, yeah, this is three damage. Taste it, you know. But also, there's a bunch of things that trigger off enchantments or whatever. So, I, I really like this card. I think it's really interesting how much 
weird excess material it leaves behind and all these things are leaving behind. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. Comes with your Phoenix chicks with your monastery with spears like boss lie. I remember, I think even people who were not around when boss lie was a standard deck know of boss lie. Cause it's so, you know, it's the $14 red deck with 19 mountains in it or whatever. And this is what you play. And uh, it's the kind of card that really fits in there. And I think that's, that's really cool. My other sleeper is a uh, sleep cursed fairy. Get it guys. It's literally sleeping. Um, no, this card is a single blue three, three flying ward two that enters the battlefield tap with three stun counters on it. Uh, so it means if it become untapped, you remove a stun counter from it uh, instead. And it also has one to blue untapped sleep cursed fairy. So, this card is just really, really efficient. Like, a 3-3 flyer for one mana with Ward 2. So it means that if you're playing it just on turn 1, your opponent's not going to be able to interact with it while it's getting the stun counters off of it every turn, uh, just from your untapped step. But also, it's going to right, like thaw itself out, and you can spend your excess mana on like using the untapped ability to remove the stun counters or kind of giving it pseudo-vigilance, and... This card enables a lot of fairy synergies um, by having more cheap fairies you can have in play for your cards that care about that in the set. It is just a good clock. It stops small things from like dealing with you over the course of the game. Your deck is likely very efficient on the spells it's, it's playing if you're playing a card like this. And I just think I haven't seen much talk about this being a real role player in what maybe fairies or even to some extent, like if you were to go and think about like a Pioneer Wizards deck, this is a one mana wizard that could could be played there as well. Yeah, I love the point about wizards with like wizards retort with the the counter spell. I think that's pretty a pretty real thing I hadn't fully put together, but I, I like that a lot. Also worth noting, this card is a combo piece with Agatha Soul Cauldron. I don't know if you thought True. about that, Abe. So, True, you know, two mana untap. It's two mana untap. You know, you got to think that taps a lot of mana. But I, I think this card is cool, and I am unclear to me how good it's going to be. But I can see this card being very good. I can also see it seeing no play. And I'm really interested to see what does like a blue-black tempo-y deck look like. Like clearly they're pushing us towards fairies. And like, will we get fairies in Ixalan, right? Like the way sets work now, things can move between planes. So I- I'm curious to see how it lands. But uh yeah, I-, I think this card's really cool. So I had a lot of thoughts when I saw this card for the first time. The first was like, all right, how do I make a one mana three-three flying creature that can untap itself good? Uh, and then I just had conversations about the card. I had not considered something until just this moment, and I'm not. I'm just saying this out loud. Like I, I haven't considered it much. But this actually just turns on spellstarter sprite really well in like modern. Obviously, you know you're spending one mana, which is like a huge commitment. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's too late for spellstarter sprite in our world of bowmaster. But I, I, if if spellstarter sprite was like in pioneer though. I could totally see that being a thing. Yeah, and I think that, like, the thing that really pushes it over for me and why I think it's a true sleeper is not just the name, it's the wizard thing. I think that, like, there is a lot out there that cares about the wizard creature type, and there's not a lot of really good one-mana wizards that allow you to leverage the strength of that, but I could see playing, like, a blue-red wizards deck, um, maybe even held up by some of the, uh, like, tribal lands, in Pioneer that uses this card effectively as, hey, I played this on turn one, now my wizard synergies are on, and the fact I have these spells I want to cast, I'm going to have this 3-3 that's going to put pressure on you while the rest of my game plan is coming together. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I'm 
I'm pretty I'm pretty hopeful for it. Yeah, I wonder too about we talked about a couple weeks on the show, a couple I guess months ago now on the show, the blue black robes deck. I mean, like we kind of like it, but like me personally, I was like, oh, I think you should be playing more things like lofty denial as its counter spells, right? And I wonder if there's just like a blue black flying tempo deck. It obviously has to compete directly with spirits. That is the the bar you have to clear. But, you know, something like that might be possible if we combine some of the rogue cards and the fairy cards and the flying matter cards. So I, I'm really interested to see what this does because it, it is a really appealing card. And once you get it unlocked, having that untap, you know, it's good for attacking and defending. And I don't know. It, it and just, the implication. Yeah. Which is huge, right? Like the fear of, oh, if I attack, I'm going to lose my thing, even though I know I want to do something like yeah. Flash and Fairy Mastermind, which is, you know, another really strong fairy. We've got Spellstutter in this set too, which is the, the spell version of Spellstutter Sprite. So I'm excited to see how this plays out. I actually would be curious, like if they gave us Spellstutter Sprite and Spellstutter, like in the next year, like if that would be enough for fairies to just be like, yeah, like we're, we're, we're a real deck again. Like, it, it, like, cause then you play this on one, like as just like your enabler, that's like impossible to kill. And then the rest of your deck is just on, like it's on like Donkey Kong. Yeah, I think that would be very strong, would be my guess. But you could obviously, in the context of standard, go over the top of that, maybe. But yeah. uh, it might even just be good enough for Pioneer. I, 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 I my guess so. is it would be very good at Pioneer. Like, but, we already um, have the, the rogue fairies, right? So, uh, Mason, let's talk about favorites. We're going to let you go first. But favorites are the cards that, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're not the best. Maybe they're just things that we, like, saw, we like the flavor of. Uh, but what are your favorite cards in the set? Pop-off King. So two of my favorite cards. The first one is Extraordinary Journey. It's XX Blue Blue for enchantment. Whenever this card enters the battlefield, exile up to X target creatures. For each of those cards, its owner may play it for as long as it remains exile. So it basically kind of unsummons it, but instead of going to your hand, it goes to exile. And then this card has whenever one or more non-token creatures enter the battlefield, if one or more of them entered the battlefield from exile or was cast from exile, you draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So what I like about this deck is this is really cool in an adventure deck where you can, you know, play it on turn two and it's just like your Lucky Clover of the new set where every time you cast your thing from an adventure, it's like Lucky Clover meets Edgewon Keeper. You draw your card. That's really dope. And then in the late game, it's a good way to spend a lot of mana and clear the battlefield and like maybe attack. I think that's really interesting. Everything I also said is inversely true. You know, if you're a blue deck and there's an adventure deck in the format, you can play this on turn two, you know, whatever. And if your opponent tries to get full value from their adventure creatures, you're going to start drawing a card. And, you know, that's like a pretty interesting thing. So I really like uh, this journey card. I think it's really fun. I think it's really cool. And it just gets me excited to like try and see what's going on with all of that. And I think it's just like a kind of a good time. So it, it's just a card I enjoy. I mean, I, I hope this card is good. I hope it's good enough for Pioneer. I hope we can figure out how to make Team Adventures a thing in Pioneer. Think that like this many lucky clovers. Let's go. I don't know. The lucky clover is probably not good enough for Pioneer, but a man can dream. I think lucky clover might be better than this card. So, well, right. I'm not. I'm saying like, uh, I'm saying how many lucky clovers do we need? Oh, to, like sure. Yeah. Anyways, my next card is up the beanstalk. This is one in a green for an enchantment. When up the beanstalk enters the battlefield, or whenever you cast a spell with mana value five or greater, draw a card. So this kind of card is typically one that I think is kind of a non-starter most of the time. When you have a build-around card, it doesn't do anything when you first play it, and then that makes it a pretty hard sell, right? Like, you have to play it and then play another card to get your first value, and then, you know, you're kind of, like, always behind a little bit. 
this card immediately cantrips when it ETBs, which I think is really appealing. And I think it has a potential place actually in Pioneer, the least in Modern, I'll get to that in a second, and even Legacy. In Legacy, you have things like Terminus, Force of Will, Solitude, Leyline Binding. There's like a lot of things that trigger this, and specifically Force of Will is like a pretty good uh, starting point for any sort of card. So I like it a lot there. In Pioneer, I like it because they actually still have Yorion, which you do in Legacy as well, uh, to be fair. But Yorion, you know, you cast it. You want to play some number of enchantments that you can flicker and kind of get advantage out of. This is a great way to sort of, you know, help smooth your draw early and trigger things late. Also, Pioneer has the Fire Inventions Yorion deck is like the most popular one that plays a lot of five drops. So like, you know, with that, sometimes the problem is you run out of steam. So this card kind of helps with that. So you can also sack it to your Ignamic, uh, Ignamic Incarnation to grab a three drop. So I, I think this card's pretty interesting. Um, I think it's actually the least likely to see play in Modern, which is where a lot of people think it's the highest because they are Fury, Solitude, Leyline Binding are such big parts of it. I just think it is not better than the One Ring, and it is hard to have, like, eight card advantage cards in your One Ring deck. And, like, Preordain or Expressive Iteration do a better job of smoothing you to your One Ring uh, or getting you out of a jam than this card does. But, like, if the One Ring wasn't part of the format, I really like the idea of playing up the Beanstalk and having, you know, like, Fable, Fury, Leyline Binding, those sort of things is like, okay, this is my card management engine. If I hardcast my Solitudes and my Furies, I'm running you over. If I evoke them, well, now I've turned, you know, what before is a two-for-one for me into, a, a you know, an equal card exchange. So I don't know how you all feel about this card, but I really like it. I think it's really cool. I want to play with it a bunch, and I'm very tempted to play with it in Pioneer. How much did uh, did Honorug pay you to put this card in post? <laughs> None. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure I buy that, but uh, no, this card is is really sweet, and I think that, um, you know, obviously, it's pretty obvious what the good things to do with it are. Um, you know, if you're trying to to push the boundaries of it, right? Spells like the evoke elementals, um, you know, delve spells, cost reducer spells. Those are all great ways to trigger this. So you're getting a card for cheap, um, on top of getting the card that it comes with. But also it comes at the cost of usually you have to jump through some hoops to make that happen. So it's a card that plays really, uh, really differently depending on how your deck is built and always has like a pretty, you know, regular payoff of, okay, I'm going to get a few more cards because my deck is doing this thing it already wants to do of make something cheaper. Um, But it will be interesting to see, you know, how much that really matters. I think Legacy is actually where I'm the most, I guess I have the most hope for it. Because I think that in that format, it's still a format where getting an incremental advantage or a few incremental advantages over time um, means the most. I mean, right now in modern, like you're saying, Mason, like the one ring uh, kind of trumps what this is trying to do in terms of man invested to to get cards back out. But, uh, you know, getting two or three cards ahead in Legacy, especially on a permanent that is not easy to interact with a green enchantment in the Legacy format. Practically indestructible. Practically a shroud, honestly. Um, and so that being a, a way to get ahead on cards is just uh, it's pretty strong. I am trying to decide if this card is better or worse for being two mana in Enigmatic Incarnation decks. I, I, the thing we talked about, um, we talked about that deck a bit. Where I guess I think I had misspoken on the podcast where I was telling Abe that I thought that deck was like an ETB silifier away from like being really really good. Um, and I, I can't decide if this is the same situation where like that deck has two mana red removal, where if it had one mana red removal to go along with Chain of the Rocks, it'd be really sweet. And I, 
I can't decide if the two is better because of the the increase in like the stuff you can get, or if it's worse because you can't play with your Kaplan's as easily. For what it's worth, in my mind, when it comes to the Mac deck, it allows you to not have to play Nylia's Presence and Omen of the Sea and Bitter Revelation, or like pick between those, and makes your mana base a little bit more consistent if you would like it that way. Um, I think the other. I mean, the biggest issue I see for it there, which can be fixed and, and can be messed with, is that your big things are Leyline Bindings, your handful of five drops you have for when you do have, like, an extra Fires, an extra Enigmatic to sacrifice the Enigmatic, um, or Sevens. So it's very rare that you're going to trigger this thing naturally. Um, but Yorion. Well, the Yorion's already going to net you well, value. It does, it does help with Yorion. I, I do think, for what it's worth, that it does play a ton of three drops. Like, there's the three drop, the, the one that cares about, like, Phyrexians, for example, I think. Or is that the five mana one? No, that's no, the three mana one. three mana one. That card's not so busted. It just ends game. So, like... Yeah, there's great three drops to two to four when you sacrifice the Enigmatic, and that's always been the case, right? If you play this as additional, easier-to-cast copies of, like, Mally's Presence, it's good, but... The thing is that you're never going to get more than that. It's going to be rare at the times we get more than one card out of it. Um, that it is a real cost to think about when it comes to, you know, am I would I rather play this or would I rather play, uh, you know, Bitter Union or would I rather play um, Omen of the Sea to be able to get the Scry 2 out of it initially. And so it's just, uh, it's something you got to think about, but I could see worlds where the deck is built to take advantage of it and that being really good. Uh, I'll go next for favorites. My first favorite is my favorite card in the whole set. It is Bramble Familiar. It is an elemental raccoon. Got otters and raccoons. Let's go. Uh, it's a 2-2 that has tap at a green. It also has two mana, which is one in a green. Tap, discard a card, and you can return it to your hand because it also has an adventure for Fetch Quest, which is five green, green. Mill seven cards, put a creature or enchantment or land from among them, uh, the mill cards, onto the battlefield. This is just like a Spencer card. If Spencer card, like if I were to design a card, this might be one of them. Uh, th this card's sweet. Uh, it's, it's, I think that it, uh, you know, both is, a, you know, it's a bear that taps for mana, thing I like. It is, you know, it's got a, it can pitch to pitch something to pick it back up to play to play it on its big side. Like it's just a well-designed magic card, and even if it's not good, it's sweet. And like you know, if you're a commander player, you should be playing this card because this card's kind of kind of dope. Yeah, I mean, value mana dorks as far as they come. This one is you know one of the best. It's a really really good payoff for having a lot of mana, while also being just a really solid turn two play. Right, because the bears makes mana is. It's good. It's it's flimsy still, but having a second toughness, as uh, you know, we know in this world is pretty strong for your two mana two mana mana accelerant compared to like you know tangled fluorohedrons or you know paradise druid was one of the best to best to ever do it because it doesn't die to that removal spell, um, and also for any color. This one, good in a different way, really uh, really caps out. So. Yeah, sweet, a sweet late game top deck is something you can do as well. I also was I was googling. I thought it was the first Blackwater Raccoon because we had so many Tanookies in uh, Kamigawa, but Cest uh, C has a lot of raccoons. I forgot about so thought it was the first of many, but just another in a long lineage of goaded creatures. Let's talk about goaded creatures. You know what I'm in for, Mason. I'm in for a Teamer four four. This card is green, blue, red, legendary creature, giant noble four four. Its name? I can't say it. What do you how do you say this? Baluna 
Ba- Baluna Grand Squall. Grand Squall. Yeah, Baluna Grand Squall. It's got Trample. Permanents you cast that have an adventure cost one less to cast. Milled, and then it's got an adventure for green, red, blue, and two mill seven cards, then put all cards uh, that have adventure from milled cards into your hand. I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sipping. I got that Copia mask on, and I'm like, let's do this. Like, let's go. I'm gonna Baluna Matata, baby. Yeah, Baluna Matata, man. Let's go. I like that. I, I just, I want an aggressively slanted value mid range deck in teamer colors to be good more than anything in the whole world. And listen, like, if this is my top end, if my top end has to be. On its base, a three mana four four that discounts the cost of my other stuff. I'm in. Like I'm in. I really love the design of this card because it's kind of like a queen that sends people on their adventure, right? Or whatever. I don't know. I, I think this card's really cool. Uh, this is definitely one of my favorites in the set. I will say, I, I don't know. It, it is nice that obviously you mill seven and then you get all the adventure things back, but Lear actually lets you cast your adventure cards from the graveyard. So I, I kind of wish there was some way that like her other ability maybe worked with that too, or I, I I don't know how to make it work exactly, but and obviously that's maybe not the most fun thing to promote. But my brain is really fixated on leering my adventures, and so getting this, having it trade, and then leering it, you know, it's like kind of a, a sweet sweet dream I'm trying to live, and I wish well, that it all if, worked if together. This goes to your yard, you can leer it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I mean, you can all live right. the dream. I guess what it does. I don't think I'm actually really leer in that deck for what it's worth. Oh, I think Lear is really nice as a one of an adventure deck if your deck's blue. You just get to cast all your cards again. Sure. That's I cool. guess this is actually kind of nice because it mills your... I thought about this. It makes Lear the normal way work. Where instance and sorcery just go to the graveyard too. Your deck probably has some. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got your, your Bramble Push, whatever the fight one's called. So I like this card a lot. I think it's really cool. I, I'm excited to play with this card. I hope I open some on Arena. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's... Oh, I just think like we're talking about Escape the Wilds is kind of like a holdover from that deck being in standard in the adventure decks that people play in like pioneer and stuff this card is just a natural replacement for that for a million reasons yeah just better in all your game plans yeah hey what about you what's your first favorite yeah so my first uh my first favorite is horned lock whale uh it's another adventure creature i'm sure you're gonna love that spencer uh but it is the creature is a four blue blue six six flash ward two that enters battlefield tapped unless it's your turn um, and the adventure spell on it is one in a blue instant adventure. Uh, the owner of target attacking creature you don't control puts it on top or bottom of their library. I am a huge sucker for like, I don't know, just blue eye flash decks. We talked about it a little bit. I like that deck a lot. I grew up playing it. Real nice little Zorius charm your creature. A little flash and a threat. This is both on the same card. What's not to like? It just, it just speaks to me. Really, I also like the idea of like, uh, a big thing that I enjoyed in like flashy flash based like control mirrors was resolving your thing on your main phase or whatever, like winning the counter four in your own end step. Like at the value and like getting real value out of casting this thing on on your turn as opposed to your opponent's turn every time is a really, really nice wrinkle to the to flashing too. So I just really like this card for a lot of reasons. I think that it's just two two good effects that uh that are good together. This is uh, reminds me in the early episodes of CCMTG, Casey Bloodworth and I uh, had a had pretty lengthy conversation on the podcast about 
people misunderstanding Azorius Charm and like considering it kind of a bounce spell when it is in fact a removal spell because you are literally putting taking the cardboard off the battlefield um, and, and putting it elsewhere. Uh, that is that is not in their hand, right? And I, I think that that is underrated a lot of the times because they get the like in this case they get the option to put it on top or bottom. But you're that creature's dead. They have to reinvest the mana for that creature. They have to draw that again if they want to draw it. I think this effect is a lot better than people get credit for, and that's why time Ebb is like one the better effects uh, in you know in limited that people always underestimate. Yeah, the fact you can't redeploy it in the same turn is like the the key part, right? So it's like, yeah, maybe you really do want your you know Baluna, you know, you want your four four for three, but you're gonna have to you know wait, redraw it, and then replay it, and so that is like very strong, just like Spencer said there. So I echo that. I really like this card. I think it is super cool. The thing I like most about it is that. <laughs> Uh, it is not just like looming over your head that there's a six six that's going to eat your thing in combat. <laughs> because like when you first read this card, you're like, oh, early on, you know, you like unsummon their thing. It probably goes to the top of their deck if it's good. Bomb, it's bad. Who cares? And then I'm going to flash it in and eat something. But the fact that if I flash it in and it's tapped, uh, is like pretty cool. I think so. I really like this card. Um, I think it is dope. I think it's really fun. And I think it's actually one of the. I think there's a, a strong chance this card is good. Because there are very, very few uh, adventures in the set where the adventure part is cheaper than the actual card if the actual card isn't just a vanilla creature. There's a cycle of, like, you know, six mana, four fours that, like, all have a cheap adventure attached to them. There's a cycle of mythics that do it, and we talked about a couple in the set here with the cards Spencer mentioned, but this is one of the few cards that actually, like, curves into itself perfectly, and I think it's, like, got a real shot of being good because of that. Because that is a big reason adventure creatures are strong is they fill in their curve naturally, right? Baluna, I think is a great card, but she don't get to go like Baluna's adventure half into Baluna proper and get like kind of a two for one. You have to like pick the player early, which is great or late game. You do her other thing, which I think is a more fun play pattern, but not as strong typically. So I think this card's nice and I bet I'm going to lose to it a fair bit because war two is also not nothing, even though it is a six drop. Yeah. I, I will say like, you know, turn one amulet, turn two, Put your attacking creature down. A few turns later, flash the sin, untap it, kill your other things. Great play pattern. No, it's not. I was I just want to make a joke. Do you think whales should have flash? That's my big thing. I dude, I, so I think it's the horn that gives it flash, but that would make me also think that it would be able to like kill stuff. But I don't know, man. Like I know it's not technically an actual whale, but like those killer whales be seeking those ships and they do not see them coming. A whales move pretty fast, I think. I know it's like it's a lock whale, so it's like in a lake, so you might not expect it. So you're that element of surprise on on it too, you know. <laughs> I I just love that Spencer was like the horn. He's like, yeah, unicorns and whales, they all be flashing in all over the place. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I, I was gonna I was gonna joke on you, make fun of you with rhinos, but the rhinos in modern have flash. It, yeah, they just have flash. Like, so, you know, like I, it's kind of eggs on my. Checks out. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the horn. I need to get me a horn. Yeah, no, the horn is the key, man. It <laughs> Yeah, my uh, my other favorite card actually happens to be one of um, Mason's hits. So I'm going to talk about why I like it so much and then give Mason the floor as to why he thinks it's going to be a player. Uh, but it is Virtue of Persistence. Um, this card is five black black for an enchantment. It says that any of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It is also an adventure of one to black, sorcery adventure. Target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. 
you gain two life. So one of my favorite cards growing up playing Magic was Debtor's Knell, which is just the back part of this, like the, the big part of this card, but for four and then three black-white hybrid mana. And the problem with it was that I would draw it and then I would never get to cast it. It's a hundred, I mean, seven mana. Um, this card alleviates the issue. It's a card that not only do I get to cast for two mana, it gives me more time, not only through life, but through, you know, hopefully killing a creature to uh, to get to seven mana. And then the effect of just, like, reanimating people's stuff is just super fun. That's just always a good time to win with other people's cards. Because I didn't need to bring my own creatures. You brought all your creatures, and I brought all of them back. So... You know, it's just, it's just a good time. Card I really, really like, but um, you know, Mason, I want to hear about kind of how you you see it. I, I could also see it being a player. This this was one of cards where it landed on everything on my list. But when it lands in favorites, you got to put it there. I agree. I, I so I think you actually did a really good pitch as to why I think the card's strong, right? Because like the idea of like, okay, you're in standard. It's kind of an interactive format. The games go kind of long. Having a thing that's like at the beginning of your upkeep, put a creature from a different graveyard onto your battlefield is like pretty appealing. That's good. But the problem is, I keep talking about this the whole set review, it seems like. It's like, but I don't really want to put that card on my deck because it doesn't do anything. This virtue has the buyout clause of like, listen, I can put my hand over the seven mana part and just look at the bottom left corner and be like, target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. I gain two life. I'm down for that. Like if I'm playing a black interactive deck or I'm playing, you know, a cyborg moment of craving or essence drain, uh, which we've seen see play in standard before, which are basically these cards. Um, I'm down to like, be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Kill a thing, gain some life. That is good against a creature deck. And then it's something I can main deck, maybe a couple of, and then, you know, it's not the end of the world. And I have this split card. That's like, you know, even if it's just a one of, it's like, yes, yeah, sometimes I just early in the game, just, you know, minus three, minus three, your thing, whatever it's dead. And then, you know, the game drags on forever. And then I play my Virtue and I take over the game. Or maybe I sideboard these. And that is my win condition against your creature deck, right? I take out all my creatures. I kill all your stuff. And I play one of these. I take over the game. So I think this card's really strong. That's actually the, the one thing I hate about it, though, for its worth, is that I'm afraid it might create decks that are, like, no creature control decks. I think that standard's really hostile to that. And Magic has adapted where that's not doable. But that is my, like, worry with this card. Is that, like, oh, no, someone's just going to have, like, a million kill spells in this. And it's also a kill spell. And I'll spend 20 minutes. But I, I think this card's really great. At worst, it's just a good card for black decks against aggro decks. You know? You're trying to kill me really quick? Kill your thing. Gain two life. That's, like, buy a whole two turns. Go. You know? And then if I cast it for seven, I cast it for seven. So I don't know what y'all think when it comes to the hit. But I think this card is very nice. This card was almost on my sleepers. Abe kind of mentioned how it could fall into like a lot of different categories. And the reason that I had it on my sleepers, uh, for what it's worth, is that the mono-white decks in Standard started splashing black um, for a seven-mana black-black card not too long ago. Uh, and they are already control decks that would be happy to play the front side of this card. I think that this card... I don't think I've seen anybody talk about it very much. Um, and... It, it, it almost made my slippers specifically for the white-black control deck. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, a common thread between this and, uh, and the whale I just talked about is that it's a card where it really feels like you would play this, you know, pretty decent interactive card anyway, but it also has, like, the kind of, for you alchemy gamers out there, conjure a insert, like, six or seven mana spell that you might ever use, maybe, into your hand. And that is a really, really powerful effect to put onto 
onto these cards, and it does enable so that you can play like decks that are able to compete with how much more value a lot of these creatures get out of having adventures on them by having these kind of haymaker spells or bigger, you know, flashier finishers that are, you know, the efficient thing up front and then the the inefficient but effective thing on the back end because it's attached to the adventure. Although I wouldn't worry about it too much, Mason. If this actually turns out to be the best card, then, uh, you know, no one's going to be getting any creatures back or killing any, giving any creatures minus three, minus three, you know? Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I can't wait. <laughs> well, then it can't be the best. Then people are going to play creatures again. It, it rotates. It has to. I wish I believed that. <laughs> I, I do believe it in my heart. I just don't believe it in my head, which is the problem. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I think this card's I think this card's great. And I think uh, a lot of these virtues are pretty good. Uh, I think Abe has the other one that I almost put on my hit, so I'm glad that we get to talk about it later later for him. So I don't want to get put the cart before the hearse. But there's more of these, and I think they are all pretty nice for various formats. Um, like I, I I know we don't have it on here, but like the red one, I think is actually like maybe good enough to make burn and pioneer something where it's like it's just a shock but also maybe you can turn your burn spells into more cards so like you know you normally wouldn't play that card but you would play a shock in your burn deck so uh just just something to keep in mind my my last hit is not dead after all it is the another one mana spell uh the lazy one that y'all probably already heard from twitter and everywhere but it is instant until end of turn turn creature you control gains when this creature dies return to the battlefield under your control with the Wicked role attached to it, and the Wicked role is plus one, plus one, and when this aura is put into the graveyard, each opponent loses one life. The big thing with this is, in the Undying, uh, sorry, for the Undying Evil and Malice cards from Rakdos, Scam, Flash, Evoke, uh, this card is sort of, like, better most of the time, just because it does the exact same thing, except now, if they kill your Grief or kill your Fury or whatever, they lose one life, which is 5% of their life. But, uh, you know, that deck really is just actually trying to kill you as quickly as possible, and it's throwing away cards, and every point matters. And I commentated the finals of the SCG Columbus, and it actually kind of came up where it was like, wow, this player solituded the creature, but the aura still went to the graveyard instead of exactly full some Dothy Voidwalkers. And there was just no way around it. They were just going to die no matter how they did it. And so it was just a situation of like, wow, that's really cool. Um, and, I, and I think it is strong, and, you know, this is, I think, maybe the you know the most like womp womp we all kind of knew it card, but it's really cool. I, I do think it opens up some interesting deck building things with Undying Evil, which was the original sort of when one of these things die, give it Undying and comes back untapped. And now you can maybe play one of those because instead of putting plus one plus one counters, you're putting the roll, which is pretty cool. But this card also nombos with your engineered explosives in modern, so I think there is some interesting like, okay, normally I want to play EE. I probably still want to play with this card, but maybe there's some different card I turn to. And I always love when there's a situation where it's like, okay, is there a different card I can turn to that maybe fills this gap that normally I wouldn't play, but I want to now because of this role. So, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting, and I really like the role, and uh, I think it's cool. Does it combo? It doesn't number with EE. Like, they still lose... Well, EE... Well, they lose the life, but then your grief or fury is smaller. So you lose, like, your plus one plus one counter. Yeah, which, like, it matters a lot, like... Like, obviously, like, if you kill them the next turn, it's about the same, yeah. right? But um, specifically for, like, Rhinos, like, your plus one, plus one counter on your Fury matters a lot for, like, eating the next to the future Rhino. So, like, That's it fair. does come up. I think it is small and not enough for me to really move the needle. I think the one life is probably better. But I think it's cool to think about that. And also, like, maybe there is some card that works pretty well with all this. So No, I, I think this is fine. I think, like, it's an upgrade in, in the decks that want this type of effect. Um, I think that... Um, we've seen different decks 
I think there was one standard deck a few years ago that played one of uh, a couple of this style of effect. So it, it is not just modern that has seen this, but I would be surprised if it was more than modern that saw this one. I personally am getting tired of the trope of ah uh, yes the well it's it's kind of a, a product of the okay like this random type of combat trick they print for like limited that is like pretty fun and good for that winds up being good with some crazy synergy in modern and this just means that every time they print that combat trick and it's like oh is this the next and it's really like you know a point zero like two percent upgrade from the previous card hey, but that means it's good i'm just saying know? the the green one mentioned earlier we didn't even talk about infect and that card seems great in infect yeah, I almost mentioned Infect, but Hammer is just so much better Infect. Yeah. But it, it is true that, like, you have a ton of one-mana Hexproof effects now, and it's like, um, they can't resolve you down forever. One of the things that actually is nice with this one specifically, I'll just go back to that card really quick, is that it uh, keeps... I, I, think it's, I think it's actually really good with giving your... In the green-black version, giving your Phyrexian Knight even more protection against more things... Um, long term, but I think I think this card's fine. Like it, it'll see playing like in in modern. Yeah, I mean it's definitely. Works. I, I actually one thing since I hadn't thought of that you just mentioned was my spiteful hex mage enters with its roll and then this roll hops on. So in st- my standard black green slide deck, I like attack and go bam, and then you know like we talked about before, like they kill after I put on my other thing, and then you know, blah, blah, blah. So that trade up and then it it comes back. Yeah, it comes back and it's bigger than before. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's nice. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a cool card. That's My all I'll say. My next card got a little bit of X love uh, today. Regal Bunnycorn is one in a white for a star star, and it has the power and time equal to the number of non-land permanents you control. There's like a really interesting conversation about, like, aren't there other cards that do this? Are most of the things that are going to be in play creatures that you're going to play with this card? And my answer to that is no. Like, we have so many gameplay pieces in play now. Like, it is just not hard to think of many decks that can create many game pieces where this card is really big. And that's it. That, that It's two mana big. That's that's what this card does. I, I don't know. I think it's a hit. I think that it will... I actually think that it can see cross-format play across every format if if the deck is right. Yeah, I wonder if, like, one of these in your Convoke deck makes a ton of sense. It's just, like, a thing that rewards you for doing your game plan, but also, like, you know, is just, like, big enough. It's, like, very nice to raise the alarm and Gleeful Demolition-type cards. I did some drafts during the streamer event and had two of these in a limited deck, and it got big and it killed people. And keyword big is kind of nice. So I think this card, you know, is underappreciated. And I think it's going to do some stuff in Standard for sure, and I can totally see it doing stuff in Pioneer. Yeah, I mean, there's also the uh, what is it, Academy Manufacturer angle, where you just start making all your all your singular foods, treasures, or uh, or clues triple triple value. Yeah, I mean, anytime anytime my opponent for the next like few years shows up and their deck box seems overflowing with tokens, I just know this card's coming, and uh, for good reason. I think it is really really powerful to have just keyword big on also like a bunch of cards and be keyword value. Yeah, I, I think that, like, you know, with the, like, Powerwave is really big in Modern right now. Like, like it, not not big in, like, the number of play it scene, but, like, I don't know if you guys have played, like, a Tarmogoyf deck recently, but then things be massive. They, like, are so big, so fast. They pick. And, honestly, like, 
there are plenty of modern decks that I think like could tweak just a couple things to make this card a way bigger Tarmogoyf. And the number of times like Tarmogoyf or Murktide just end games because of keyword big, is like, well, actually, I actually can't beat that card right now, is a surprisingly high number. Uh, my next card is half of a Burning Tramissary. Uh, that's it. That's, that's the card. Uh, it is a red and a green for Ruby Daring Tracker. It's a legendary human scout. It has haste. It taps for a red or green. And whenever it attacks, while you control a creature power four or greater, it gets plus two plus two until end of turn. Uh, Mason, what do you think of my comparison? I think that did psychic damage to me. I got, I got. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I saw this card and I was like, oh, this is a card Spencer's going to love because it's like a man dork early and then like, you know, transitions to be like a 3-4 later. So I'm, I'm excited to see what your thoughts on this card are. I think this card is really cool. I love this sort of, you know, once again, like, no, please play with two mana mana dorks. You yeah. know, like, I mean, have you considered that it's Bard class, Elder Spirit yes, Guide, or I have, Spirit Guide? I have considered that. Hey, let me tell you a story. <laughs> Have you considered that, Mason? Have you considered <laughs> really good with source of mana? Dude, it's so good with Bard class. I have a deck tech on the YouTube channel about Bard class if anybody wants to check it out. No, th this card, uh, one, I love the flavor of this. Like, Ruby, that's just sick. But two, I actually think this card's, like, pretty good. Um, I would be a little surprised if this card didn't see standard play in the fact that you know, just a haste mana dork that makes makes multiple colors of mana. So it, it really effectively only costs ones on turn where you want to double spell, and then it, as a late game top deck is quite good. I, I'm I'm down for it as as Mason said. Yeah, yeah. The whole like this just costs one less angle is uh is very strong. We were just talking about how I mean, even like the uh the mana rock, the two mana mana rock being something you can kind of weave in and still be a mana ahead. This has that same quality. Um, also just being, you know, it comes at the higher cost of being a red green card, but, uh, at the higher upside of being uh, a creature for my first hit, I've got, uh, like Mason said, virtue of loyalty. It's the white, uh, card from the virtue cycle, uh, all the enchantments with adventure, uh, cards on it. And it is, um, three white, white for an enchantment that says at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one counter on each creature you control, untap those creatures. And the enchantment uh, or not the uh, the adventure on it is one in a white instant uh, create a two two white knight creature token with vigilance. Yeah, I mean I think this card is just really really strong. It is like a two two flash with a little bit of value attached of like okay here's another card to use is really good. Like you will play and I mean we've seen a lot in standard white decks recently where you will play some value uh, like generating a little bit behind rate two drops if they're good enough. And this one just leaves behind a card that once it sticks, you are inevitably going to, to like overtake the game. If you are in a board stall where usually your white creature deck can't quite get through, but maybe their life goes a little low, so they can't really attack you. Um, and eventually they'll overwhelm you. They're not going to overwhelm this card. And um, even in just, you know, one or two copies, I think this card goes off. Uh, in any decks that are really playing to the board, and especially, you know, like with uh, with the Bunny Corner we were just talking about, a deck that cares about just material, having a lot of permanence in play, um, this card also scales well with having permanence in play without just being, you know, one card that's uh, creature-type big. We've seen how big Invasion of Govercon's backside has been. Like, in games, when you flip that card, that obviously has the Indestructible Clause attached to it, but 
this untapping is really important for creature matchups. Also, like if you have anything with activate abilities, it's obviously pretty good there. They involve tapping, but yeah, I think this card is really strong. And just like, are you interested in like is your deck interested in playing a flash two two with like the night synergies uh, and has vigilance? Like if so, like that's a you know a high bar to clear to be fair. But like this card just obviously sticks in. So if you're like an aggressive white deck or whatever, you probably just want to play at least one of these and just be like, yeah, curve out. Hold my man up on the turn, you wrath. You know, you wrath. I flash this in, and then I like, you know, play my, you know, other creatures I have in hand, or like I play this, and then now every creature I'm playing after this grows, and I have that one, two, two that's getting bigger. So I think this card's really great. Um, I think it is very strong. And it's the other virtue that I'm like, wow, this one is like, they were not playing around when they were, were playing with the virtues. They are seem quite strong to me. So I'm curious to see what you think, Spencer. Uh, I, I think this card's good. I, I The untapped thing is interesting. Because you're only going to attack through favorable board positions to begin with, because this happens at the end step. So it just ends the game the first time that you get to untap. Because it means that, like, it's over. Like, I already got to attack, and now you don't get to attack. The race is completely shut down. GG's. Would have been good at Bankbuster. You know, you're like, screw your bankbuster, draw a card. That'd be sweet. That'd be sweet. I was going to say, the activated ability angle is, is pretty real. Yeah. And I, that, that was my first thought, though. It was like, from the combat perspective, the first time that you untap the game is over because you want, if you were attacking, then you did it from a favorable position, and now there's there's no coming back. Like, the, if it was favorable before, it's it's over now. Yeah, I wonder how many like Heatler Hawk type things you can play where like maybe the board stalled and like you have like one invasive thing, like a creature sure, that, that like there's like a vehicle you're crewing, maybe that flies and you're yeah. like, okay, hit you for a couple, end of turn, these all untap my vehicle grows for next turn. And we're just like you're basically in the abyss without being in the abyss. Yeah, that could be that could be true. I, I can see yeah. that. Uh yeah, and my other hit is Scalding Viper, uh, which is Another adventure creature, but it's one in a red for a 2-1 elemental snake. As whenever an opponent casts a spell with mana value 3 or less, Scalding Viper does 1 damage to that player. And the adventure spell is 1 in a blue sorcery, uh, return target and online permanent to its owner's hand. So, yeah, I mean, the I, I think this is one that pretty immediately people are like, oh, this card is just really good um, when they saw it, because it has it harks back to Eidolon of the Great Revel, except it's not symmetric, so it's only your opponent taking damage when they cast their uh, their spells, and also it just has attached to it a pretty solid two mana sorcery. Which, if you're any sort of you know prowessy deck or instant sorceries matters deck, um, is just a really really quality thing to have. As your deck is likely trying to leverage tempo anyway, so making your opponent spend their mana again on their creature um, or whatever non permanent is is going to be good. And so yeah, I mean I think the card very clearly it's very easy to imagine where this card goes, and I think in all those places it pretty cleanly does the job that it says it's doing, although maybe not to the degree that the cards you think about it as are, right? If you think about it as like, oh, it's Eidolon of the Great Revel that's also Brazen Borrower, it's not quite either of those cards. Um, it's not just a creature with an efficient bounce spell attached uh, that's like good, and it's not a card that's going to hate on your opponent for trying to do anything in the game. But it will do both of those things together in lesser capacity, which is still really powerful. Yeah, uh... Uh, like you sort of you mentioned, you know, like it is definitely not idle on meets brazen borrower. Like when it comes to the like, it's not actually those two cards stuck together, but it harkens to both of them. And I really like how this card sort of is going to incentivize things. And 
it is worth noting that this can return your own things, right? It says return target enemy permit to its owner's hand. Brazen Bar couldn't do that because it was an instant. It'd be a little too strong. So this one's a sorcery, which probably doesn't matter too much, but something to keep in mind if you have some, like, you know, maybe you have a enchantment that, like, you want to pick back up and use again, or a creature with a strong ETB and you're in the late game, you know? Those sort of things do matter. So it's going to be interesting to see how this does. And I also wonder if, like, is this just good enough to see play in red decks as, like, you know, another Eidolon in Pioneer and Modern. Uh, Eidolon has kind of left the format, so maybe not right now, but, you know, maybe there's a world where things change, and then this is, like, you know, a really strong uh, thing that players can turn to. So, I don't know. I think it's really cool. Burn's got to be good eventually in Pioneer. We just got to keep throwing cards ahead. <laughs> yeah, it not being symmetrical really helps it there, too. And you can pick up your Balloon and Matata. I'm sure, I'm sure Spencer's excited about that. So, uh, when I saw this card the first time, I got really excited about it and the first time that i saw it was in a meme uh which was even funnier and the meme was pretty great it might actually be our like our thumbnail for this episode um but the issue is that i read this as an instant on the front half actually it is a pretty big deal that it's not an instant and maybe like it's going from that high to like to going down too low and like adjusting um, I do like that the backside's not symmetrical, but I, I would be a little surprised that this card ended up being a player because of the front side being a sorcery. Which means you should buy them, because when I say stuff like that on the podcast, I inevitably get pwned, so. Yeah, it's hard to be, be disillusioned with uh, with cards you thought it did something it doesn't do, but I still think, yeah. you know, still really strong. I mean, sorcery is worse than instant. I will give you that. <laughs> you know? it, it, it certainly is, but also like the effect is like a lot worse. Like if you think about the, the number of times you're like bouncing a rhino, one you a game in pioneer, right, or in in modern, um, and like the power that brazen borrower has because it is an instant and because it has flash on both. Like it is just an instant card. This one might not matter, right? Like it's it's a sorcery speed on both sides, so maybe the speed isn't as important. But it's not like I can leave out the mana for this, bounce something, and then double spell with it next turn. I mean, I guess I could just double spell with it the turn it happens. I don't know. Maybe I'm convincing myself into the card now. I guess my thoughts are that if I like cover up the adventure half of the card, right? Am I happy with the two mana two one that pings them when they play three mana cards or less? And I think the answer is probably yes, right? Like obviously it's context dependent on the format, but my gut says yeah, and so then I've unlocked this blue half of the card where it's yeah. like, all right, if I have blue in my deck, that's like a free roll. And sometimes, you know, I draw my two one and I put it has children in play, you know, and it's like, oh well, I just do nothing. Versus now, it's like, all right, unsummon your children, hit you for like four more, play this, go, you know, that like at least does something. So, you know, I think this card's probably going to see some amount of play, and really the context of the format of like how strong are one and three mana things, and how good is burn at sort of or red at burning you out because i think if if it's going to burn you out this is like a really nice card it pushes a lot of damage it is it is certainly one of my favorite cards design wise in the set um so i'm really glad that we got it on the list if you want to join the conversation you can head on over to patreon.com the show will always be free but we always want to be giving back to you the listeners who you know love it enjoy it and want to give back to us um so head on over to patreon.com you can join the discord there's a public discord with uh all of his game media uh there is youtube comments comment let us know your pick to set review what would your cards have been uh head over to twitter follow us at cc 
MTG. And don't forget to check out Drafting Archetypes at ContractorCriticism.com. Like, sub, and review. It's the best way to help the show. We've gotten some great reviews recently. And, you know, you, you see those YouTube comments. You see those those things. You know, if you get the chance to head on over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts, it's a great way to help the show, even if you can't support us on Patreon. If people want to find me, they can find me at Spencer13H on X and on Threads. I'm also on TikTok uh, at Spencer13Heasy for my nerd content and Spencer13H for, like, personal stuff. What about you, Ed? Uh, people can find me over at, uh, I guess we're calling it x.com, twitter.com slash more nothings, where I will, you know, tweet about things to tweet about. Easy to get in contact with me for uh, any coaching. Uh, you can DM me or you can send me email over at more nothings at gmail.com. Just let me know for coaching. Uh, how about you, Mason? You can find me over at twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You can find me on the Super League on certain Wednesdays. Uh, like we talked about last week, I played my thing. I don't want to spoil how it went. We'll talk about that later. But uh, this week, uh, it's going to be a really cool one. So once again, the episode will be out by the time you heard it. But check the VOD. That's going to be Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific time. That's when it's going to air every week. So you want to check that out to see there. And you can also check out Honorog's YouTube channel for that stuff. I write every week for Card Kingdom. This week I'm writing about Up the Beanstalk and Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy. I've got deck lists and thoughts and a whole like encyclopedic of cards you can play with those cards. So it's going to be really interesting if you like that sort of grindy value. So check that out. And you can reach out to me for coaching. I have some availabilities right now. Uh, you can do that via Twitter, which once again is Mason E. Clark, or you can email me Mason E. Clark at gmail.com and just put coaching in the description so I know that you reached out for that. Hey, what'd you learn this week on the show? I learned about giant sea otters. <laughs> nice. I was gonna say giant. I learned that horns give things a flash, <laughs> which is making me curious about this uh virtue. It doesn't have you know, mm. oh. they like blow. They have like the the trumpeters with them. That's a, that's a different. Trumpets that's a, are a lot like horns. Horn, they're like, <laughs> it's a horn. Uh, I learned. Gorion has a horn. That's all yeah. I'm saying. I learned that you can get a real big Uno reverse card if you try to convince your coast to do uh, five hundred and seventy six to the nth degree number of pushups. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Don't forget. Support your local wildlife so we can see more giant river otters eating alligators. Bye!